I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 as we get into God's Word together. Um, you know, I saw recently um, an article that wasn't very encouraging. Maybe, maybe you'll find it encouraging uh, because you'll know that you're not the only one, but the average adult misplaces nine things a day. Uh, that includes keys and the TV remote and your glasses and phones. And we spend 15 minutes every day looking for those things. Um, and the reason this article said was a breakdown of attention. We lose things when we don't have a clear reference point of when or where we put things down. And the article said we can improve this by taking a deep breath and focusing on being present in the moment. And I thought, wow, you know what? That's so true of Christmas uh, because it's, it's such a busy time of, of life, but um, I love the Advent season, being able to come together and, and worship and praise God and sing together and refocus and, and, and remind ourselves ab about what Christmas is all about, what, what, uh, what we're here for. Um, you know, the holiday season is kind of like a magnifying glass on our lives. Uh, if you're in love, it's better at Christmas. Uh, if you've recently received good news at work, it's a sweeter time of the year. Uh, hope and joy and love are magnified. Um, but so is pain. And so maybe a lot of people end up hiding it pretty well because for one reason or another, Christmas is just a painful time for them. Um, so if you've had a hard year or maybe financial pressure or struggles with your health or whatever it is, um, you know, maybe there's some pressure to pretend that everything is suddenly okay, that you forget your problems because it's Christmas. And it can be pretty exhausting to force joy when joy's not really there. So whether for you it's magnified joy or magnified pain, my prayer is that you will allow the truths of Christmas, some of which we'll talk about this morning, to, to drive you past the decorations and the parties and, and, and all the way to a baby in a manger, as we saw last week, that points us to a cross, that points us to the salvation that's ours in Jesus. Um, you know, around this time of year, my kids will ask me what I want for Christmas, and my response is, I don't need anything. And, um, and they'll say, come on, you can come up with something. So I'll, okay, I'll go on Amazon and look around. I'll, I'll do my shopping online or give you some ideas. Um, one year, one of my kids who will, rename, who will remain unnamed, because when I name them, sometimes they listen to sermons. I, I told them they were really little. If I ever used them as an example, I'd pay them $5. So... I don't want to have to owe any of my kids anything, so I'm not going to say anything who it is, but um, one of them couldn't come up with anything they wanted for Christmas, so they said, just don't get my older brother that thing and get it all for me and not for him, and then I'll, I know he'll feel jealous because those are things he wants, and I know that I'll get some really cool things, and so, um, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but well, I, I do know about you. I, don't, I know this about you, that there's one gift that we all need at Christmas, and that's Jesus, and to focus on him. Um, I like the way Charles Malik put it. Uh, he's the former ambassador from Lebanon to the United States and a former president of the United Nations. 
And um, at a speech he gave in Wheaton College, he began with this uh, personal testimony. It's on your outline, at the top of your outline. He said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and God and Savior and song, night and day. I can live without food, without drink, without sleep, without air, but I cannot live eternally, he's talking about, without Jesus. Without him, I would have perished long ago. And not a day passes without my crying from the bottom of my heart, come Lord Jesus. The account of Christmas pierces our hearts because it's true. Um, We looked a couple weeks ago at the family tree of Jesus and how as Christians we become part of that family tree. The birth of Jesus is rooted in history and it's centered around real people and real places and real events. And we see the fingerprints of God all over the incarnation. It gives us strength to obey God, to follow him. So I want to read our passage, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said about the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God. So I want us to think just for a moment here, first of all, how Mary received Jesus. She did it in a way that no one had before and that no one ever will again. Uh, Pretty miraculous. You think about Mary and her bearing Jesus. Um, Joseph is a little easier for us to identify with because Jesus came into Joseph's life as well. And from a human perspective, only from a human perspective, uh, it almost didn't happen. At the point where Jesus was about to come into Joseph's life, Joseph almost prevented it from happening. And the way Joseph thought of it was this, here's a woman I'm engaged to marry, and sometime during our engagement, she got pregnant with somebody else besides me. So it says in verse 19, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's about to divorce her. And divorce here means breaking off the engagement because in those days, engagement was way more binding than it is today. 
It still wasn't as binding as marriage, but Joseph was about to break off the relationship. So earlier in verse 19, he explains why. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Joseph was convinced he was doing the right thing to break off the marriage and break off the engagement. Um, he didn't want to make a big deal of it. He, wanted to, he didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to do it publicly. Again, verse 19, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Joseph wanted to take care of this thing privately and as quietly as possible. So he's telling himself, I'm doing the right thing because of what Mary did wrong. Deuteronomy 22 is very clear. No sex before marriage, even if you're engaged. Joseph is thinking, I'm a just and righteous man, and I'm also very kind, and so I'm willing to do this quietly. Mary will eventually be shamed in public, but I can at least put it off for a time so that she can prepare herself well to deal with this. But the angel comes to Joseph and says, your problem isn't that you're trying to do the right thing. Your problem is that you're filled with fear. I think that's something we can all identify with. We all have fears. We, we feel fearful sometimes. And there are actually 365 times in the Bible, which I think is appropriate, one for every day of the year, when God says, fear not, for I'm with you. It's a reminder of us that God is always with us no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the time that you're going through is right now, God is with you. And he wants you to know that truth. I think there's a deep lesson here for us all, and, and, the, and the lesson is, and it's on your outline, that it takes courage to receive Jesus. And we're gonna define that. We're gonna talk about what that actually means this passage spells it out. There are some other things that Joseph had to accept. So what it means to receive Christ is this. Number one is that when you receive Christ, you have to have the courage to be misunderstood by the world. Joseph says it in verse 19. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He was trying to keep the blow for Mary from being harsher than it had to be. The word disgrace is, is also shame. So the idea is literally to make an example of, and Joseph didn't want that for Mary. She didn't want, he didn't want Mary to be made an example of. Even if Joseph were to marry her immediately, people would figure it out. They know math, they can count. Someone gets pregnant in, in, uh, in, in May, and they have a baby at the end of September. They, people can do the math, they can count. So, but in that day, at that time, in this traditional culture, Joseph realized that it was absolutely inevitable that Mary's life would be ruined. At least to some degree, she'd be cut off from her family. She'd be marginalized from her friends. Her life would never be the same. And you know, you think about it from a spiritual point of view, God coming into her life and impregnating her does not fit the mold. There was no mold. So for Joseph to receive Christ into his life at this point means that Mary's shame would also come to him. The only way for him to be free is if he divorces her. It's the only way that he could make it clear to everyone that she was unfaithful to him. 
But if he marries her and they have a child a few months later, then it will be clear to everyone that they both sinned. They both blew it. And what Joseph is saying at this point is, I don't want this child in my life because if I do receive this child into my life, I'll be shamed. My life will be destroyed. So what happens when someone today becomes a Christian and we say, and it's on your outline, Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. I know him. I know the Lord. He loves me and I know I'm going to heaven. And that doesn't fit the world's grid. People hear that and they say, I've never heard anything so arrogant in all my life. And from just being in the middle of our study of 1 John, we know that there are some things we can know. And we can know that we have eternal life. But the unbelievers, when they, when they hear us say that we know we're going to heaven, they think, man, I, they don't understand the gospel. They say, if there is a God, only people, the only people who would find him would be very good people. And you Christians say you know God, you say you love him, and that you know you're going to heaven. But that means you think you're better than the rest of us. And we say, no, we know we're not better than the rest of you. We know we're separated from God by our sin. No matter what the Christian says, people who aren't believers will roll their eyes and think, right, give me a break. So when you receive Christ in your life, you have to be willing at least to some degree to accept the contempt of the world toward you. People who maybe thought of you well before you became a Christian now think of you as marginal. They'll say, I'm not sure what happened to them, but maybe one day they'll come to their senses because what they're thinking now is ridiculous. If you're single, people maybe thought of you initially as good spouse material, but once they find out that you follow Christ and that Christ means more to you than they will ever mean to you, then their framework is just blown up. Uh, There's maybe even a danger in your career. It happens even today that some people lose their job because of their positions as a Christian. And if you're thinking, wow, this could be true in my situation, then consider Mary and Joseph. Two, in all likelihood, teenagers who did receive Christ into their lives and even with the scorn of the world, look what happened as a result. We don't know a lot of the people that gave them a hard time, but we know Mary and Joseph. And, and God in the midst of that says to us, uh, do not be afraid. Joseph was initially convinced that the right thing to do is to follow the law. And then this angel comes to him and says, no, it's cowardly. You take her to be your wife. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. And of course, God will give you the things that you ask him for. And, and, and when you ask him according to his will, he always responds. He always answers. And so that means that we need to be asking. So are you spending time daily talking to God and asking him in prayer for things that you know to be his will? When we ask him for wisdom, we know that he, he, he promises to give us wisdom. And that also implies that we need to be in the word to know what his will is. 
So as we walk and as we follow what the, the, God's nudges in our lives, sometimes we respond with fear. And we say, I don't want to go talk to this person. I'll be embarrassed to talk to them about my faith. So what if you get embarrassed? It's when we follow those prompts, follow those nudges, and, and the only time you don't is if you know it's, it's against God's word. If it's, if it's illegal, you don't do it. But if it's not, then you follow those prompts and maybe step out of your comfort zone to go and talk to somebody about your faith in Christ and what that means to you. And God will always give you the words he'll, to say. He'll always give you the strength as you step out and do that. The second thing it means to receive Christ is that when you receive Christ, you have the courage to accept the adventure of his lordship. So what kind of adventure are we talking about? Well, you know, as we navigate the journey of faith and trust God's promises, even when circumstances seem intimidating, even when they seem overwhelming, that mirrors the courage that a great adventure requires. An adventure typically has a destination. And for us, that's heaven. But, but we also know that everything we go through here, God is preparing us for heaven. He's making us to be like his son, Jesus. An interesting part of the conversation with Joseph and the angel comes in verse 21, when the angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus. Most people have the right to name their own children because they're our children. If you start a company, it's your company. You can call the company whatever you want. If you invent a product, you can call it whatever you want because you invented the product. You get to name it. But this is important because the angel is saying, and this is on your outline to Joseph, if you want to accept this child into your life, he does not come under your authority, rather you will be under his authority. We don't want anyone to be our boss. We want to be our own boss. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. I think that's why people are afraid sometimes to become Christians, because they know they have to submit their lives to the Lordship of Christ. So that's the question. Have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? And you say, yes, he's my Savior, and he's my Lord. You know, we use the image of Christ's home, my heart, Christ's home. We invite Christ into our lives. He'll come into every room in our life, and then he comes into a, an area of our life, and he says, I want in this closet, and you're standing in front of it, and you say, no, I'm not going to give you that closet. That's for me. That's, I don't want you to disturb this part of my life. And God says, I want into every part of your life, even this closet, even where you don't want me into this life, I need to come in and shine my light into this part of your life. That's what it means for him to be your Lord. So is he the Lord of every area of your life? What's a closet that you need to give over to him? That you need to say, Lord, I know this is gonna be painful. I know you're gonna point out my sin, but I'll thank you in advance for your forgiveness and I'll let you into the parts of my life that I don't wanna let you into because he wants to be Lord of every area of your life. Someone says that they're considering becoming a Christian. Well, they'll ask me, can I do this and still be a Christian? Can I do that and still be a Christian? When Jesus comes into our life, it goes way beyond that. We have no idea what he'll tell us to do. 
Maybe it'll be something rather radical that will be that, it'll be radical at least for the people around us as we respond to him. The point is, and this is on your outline, we have to say to Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, since you are the king, I will do. And unless we say that to him, we really don't have a relationship with him. We're, we're telling him what to do, we're commanding him, and that we don't do that with Jesus. Coming into a relationship with God means that we don't put restrictions or conditions on him. We don't really even know ourselves. How can we tell God what to do or what we really need? We want, to, we want God to be safe, and he is a refuge for us, but he's not safe. It's a paradox, isn't it? We want to put God in a box. We want to know how God works all the time, but God is beyond our thinking. We have finite minds. We're talking about an infinite God here. We're not going to understand all of his ways. I like the way J.B. Phillips put it in his book, Your God is Too Small which is a great book to read. But he says this, God will inevitably appear to disappoint the person who is attempting to use him as a convenience or a prop or a comfort for their own plans. God has never been known to disappoint the person who is sincerely wanting to cooperate with God's own purposes. And what Phillips is saying is that if you align yourselves with who God is and his will, then you're, you're less likely to be disappointed in the long run in this life. Follow what God wants you to do. Jesus is not predictable. We get so safe in our own little comfortable world, we become afraid of adventure. And obeying God, and this is on your outline, obeying God is an adventure. Jesus comes into our lives in part so that we can, not, not so we can be safe, but so that we can live an adventure with him. There's a book I have on discipleship by a guy, Jerry Sitzer, who's, it's called The Adventure. And that's what life is, that's what discipleship is. It is an adventure. And adventures bring about unexpected challenges. And, and so we know that trials and troubles are going to come into our life. It's part of life. But we, we say, Lord, okay, what do you want to teach me through this trial? What do you want to teach me through this struggle? I, I want to go through it with you. I need your help. I can't make it on my own. It's a paradox that we're safe in his arms. We're safe. To, he, he is our refuge, but at the same time, uh, we can't put him in a box. He transcends our thinking. And it was G.K. Chesterton who said, a paradox is merely a truth standing on its head to attract attention. And that's what it is when we think of God as both a refuge and that he is not safe. And then thirdly, when you receive Christ, you have to have the courage to admit you're a sinner. The angel says in verse 21, because he will save his people from their sins. You know, sometimes um, I, I've heard TV preachers or whatever ask people to pray a prayer of salvation, which is great. And I know people that have come to God sincerely through praying a prayer of salvation like that. But it takes a while. To, I mean, we have to understand in our thinking that it's more than just 
praying a prayer. There, there is a, a, a lifestyle that follows. There is a relationship with God that continues to have to grow and develop. And we don't really think about what that means. And so I've, I've heard new Christians say, okay, now I'm going to try really hard uh, to, to follow Christ. And, I'm gonna, and I, I know he's going to help me reach all my goals. Because now he's giving me the power to do those things. But that's not what Christianity is about. It's not finding out my goals. It's, it's saying, okay, God, what are your goals for my life? What do you want for my life? It's following his will. And, 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 and obeying him. And so we need the courage to realize that God owes us nothing. That we cannot save ourselves. And there is no way on our own power that we can live up to God's standards. The, the American way is, okay, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But God says you cannot save yourself that way. And, and on your own power, you can't do it. There's, there's nothing that you can do to add to your salvation. You can't possibly live the life that God wants you to live on your own power. Jesus says it this way in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, and apart from me, yeah, there are some things you can do. That's no, not what it says. It says apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's what we need to understand, that we need to be and stay connected to the vine. And, and that's Jesus. So what we need is the humble strength to admit that we need to be saved. And we don't just need a helping hand. We're dead in our sin, and we need to be raised to life in our sin. That's what we do at baptism. That's what baptism symbolizes. Dying to our old selves, rising up to a new life in Christ. So we need the courage to say, and this is on your outline, God owes me nothing and, we could, just, and, and could just cut me off. And he would be completely justified because of our sin. That's why we trust in God's grace alone in Christ. So do you have the power to say, God owes me nothing? I was talking to someone this week and they they were at one time following God, but they, made, uh, they invested a lot of money and, and they, they told me at the time and subsequently and that, that they knew that God had given the, them the assurance that this investment would come back to them and, and be a good investment. And they lost everything. And they said, so now we just don't believe in God because we know that uh, he he's, he's didn't follow through on his promise. And I was like, what? Wait a second. This was about what you did. This isn't what God wanted you to do. I mean, you're not, you're blaming God for something you did. So that's not the way God works. God owes us nothing. All you need to become a Christian is, is God's grace plus nothing. And most of us don't have that. We want to bring something to the table. God, here's what I've done. Look at what I've done for you. Uh, look at how faithful I've been. And that's what this person thought, that God owed them. That's not the way God works. People say Christianity is just a crutch. And when someone admits that they need Christ, it just proves that, that, that they just need a crutch. Christianity, when someone says that to me, I'll say, yeah, you're right, but it's way more than that. It's more like a life support system. And we need to be on it all the time, every day. It's a sure foundation. It's the truth. It's a, the truth about life. If Jesus Christ is God, 
and died on the cross for our sins and created us to be in fellowship with God through Christ, then to call him a crutch would be like a light bulb saying to an electric socket, you're a crutch. No, a, a light bulb was created to function properly when it's inserted in, in, in the socket. And so we've been created to function uh, properly in a personal relationship with God. We need that through his son. So how do I get the courage to do these things? Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So after Joseph listens to the angel, something had happened to him. He understood that Mary received Christ and, and he needed to do the same thing. As a matter of the will, Joseph identified with Mary and her weakness and her disgrace became his. And if he hadn't, do you know what would have happened to a single, teenage, pregnant, unwed mother in that culture? She would have been out there. No man would have come near her. She, she would have been out in that culture. No one would have ever married her. She couldn't, have, she couldn't just go out and get a job. That, that didn't happen then. She would have been on the verge of starvation for the rest of her life. The only way for Mary to be saved, so to speak, was for Joseph to give up his life. Because she was carrying Jesus, the only way for Joseph and all of us to be saved was for Mary to give up her life. And you know, in the Christmas song, Hark the Herald, angels sing, it's, it says, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the Herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So when he says mild, the idea of mild he lays his glory by, it's not violent, it's not coerced, it's not forced. Jesus lays his glory by voluntarily, happily, and freely. And do you know how to have courage to follow Christ and be a Christian? God gives us courage when we're most afraid. That's when we need it. He'll provide what we need. And it's not for us to be able to say, look how courageous I'm being. This is about making Jesus your savior and your Lord. And the only way we can be saved is for Jesus to do what Joseph did, lay down his life. And if you look at Jesus losing his life for you, then you'll be able to face whatever comes to you in your life. So how do you begin a relationship with God? It's on your outline, you receive Christ. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right and the privilege to be the children of God. So Jesus asks you to give up your life, but the reality is you get way more back. When you accept Christ, you'll never look at people the same way. I remember becoming a Christian and people that I thought were weird, people that I thought were hurting and broken and I didn't wanna even associate with, all of a sudden my heart went out to them and I'm like, wow, I could identify with them. I, 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 could, I could say that, you know, I'm like that. I, I'm, I'm weird, I'm, I'm broken um, and, and hurting. You know, and, and so if you're broken, if you're, if you're hurting, if for whatever reason you're tempted to be ashamed of your situation, think of this. Why do you think 
Mary, the mother of God, so to speak, was a single, pregnant, unwed mother. Because this God's way of saying, I don't care what you think about yourself right now or what you've done in the past, I love you just the way you are. You come to me just as you are. You let me change you. You let me transform you by my Holy Spirit living in your life. 1 John 3.20, you've got it on your outline, says, and whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. When we feel guilty, we remember that God knows our motives as well as our actions. And again, on your outline, God's voice of assurance is stronger than the accusing voice of our conscience. If we are in Christ, he will not condemn us. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. No condemnation. That's the promise that we get from God. And why does all this matter? Because you're not going to have to pass some theology test to get into heaven. Uh, it's not so you can say to someone else, aha, I'm right and you're wrong. Jesus is real. Jesus is trustworthy. It's true that the last will be first. It's, it's true that you must lose your life if you're going to find it. It's true that the last are going to be first. It's true that whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for Jesus. It's true that you don't have to worry about tomorrow because Jesus holds that in his hands. You don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus has defeated death. You don't have to hide your sin because Jesus died for your sin. I love this quote from Tim Keller that you've got on your outline. Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. So do you have the courage today to come to Christ? To come to him for salvation? I know most of you have done that. And so you come to him and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of every area of my life. Will you be Lord of these areas? And so it's a challenge for us to be obedient to him. You have the courage to take a stand for Christ when it's uncomfortable to do so. You know, we talk about going home for Christmas or having people come home. Now, I'll tell you what, you want to come home, come home to Christ. It's time to come home and find your dwelling place with God. Find your home in him. If you have peace with God, then you will experience the peace of God in your life. He was born, you were born to be saved, to have a relationship with God. So you take a step of faith, you surrender to him, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. And what will you do is receive this gift of salvation. Just like someone gives you a gift at Christmas, you just say thank you, you open it. Um, boy, heaven's proclaiming the glory of God, wrapped up in the gift of his son for you this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus that we have. And if someone's here, if you've never received Christ, it's as simple as, as beginning by saying, Lord, I need you. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Help me now to become the person you want me to be. You change me by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to have 
courage, a willingness to be weak, a willingness to be vulnerable. Christmas means that you became vulnerable. And now we ask to help us to have Jesus in our lives more deeply than ever because we will become, we need to become vulnerable enough to confess our sins, to give you lordship of our lives in a new way, to accept any shame the world would throw at us for the sake of your honor. We pray that you would, be help, that you would help us to be like your son. Give us soft hearts, Lord. Melt our hearts before you so that we could look more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his strong name. Amen. Well, um, we're going to have a baptism. And uh, because of where the Christmas tree is, we need you to move over to kind of this side. That's okay, it'll be crowded, but we hope you can stay. The baptism will happen right now. And so uh, I hope that you can stay. If, if not, of course, you need to go, you go. But let's stand together for our benediction, and then we'll have the baptism. So, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. Amen. God bless you. Please don't leave uh, without introducing yourself to the people next to you. And if God has spoken to you in any way, we're going to have some folks up front who would love to pray for you and with you. So guys on this side, gals over on this side for the baptism. Thank you.